I'm Katie McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. I think there's a valid question that we have to ask while we have a conversation about liturgical living, which is what we're doing for the next few weeks here on Ave Explores. Not too hard of a question, might I add, just one worth pondering. Who is liturgical living for? Who's it for? Is it for the kid who's doing the activity at the kitchen table? Is it for the mom who's planning a craft? Is it for the dad who's building whatever it is that they've been asked to build? Is it for the grandparent who's hoping to connect with the traditions of the church once again? Is it for the aunts, the uncles, the neighbors, the parish priest, and everyone in between? I've kind of answered the question, haven't I? Liturgical living is for everyone. There is this thing, though, that that happens sometimes where it's almost like liturgical living becomes this. Well, it's it's for kids. It's just for families. And it's just for little kids. Kids kind of lose interest as they get older. So it's really just for that fun age, like three to ten, when they're willing to do pretty much anything you ask them to do within reason. Sometimes you have to bribe them with candy corn or jelly beans. And it's not wrong that a lot of the activities and the projects or the various things that we can do to articulate a particular season of the year in a certain way is focused on families. Of course, it is within the family, whatever that family looks like, that faith is shared, faith is learned, faith is lived. But sometimes liturgical living is just kind of relegated to the, well, you do these crafts with children section of the church, as opposed to an acknowledgement that Living the liturgy, which is what liturgical living is, beyond the 60 to 65 to 70 minutes, depending on Father's mood that day when he gives a homily, of Mass, living the liturgy all the time, letting the liturgy direct and order our lives, well, that's a project for everyone that claims the faith. That's something that anyone can embrace kind of at any level of engagement and hopefully find depth and new understanding of what the church teaches to restore and revive that Catholic cultural heritage that we have, but that sometimes we have not fully tapped into. Stephanie Aquila has really made this her mission, having these conversations, offering these ideas, challenging people to more deeply understand that liturgical living is for all and really should flow from the parish life. It shouldn't be you having to go figure out every single activity to do or every single tradition to incorporate. It shouldn't be you having to go do every ounce of research and purchase every single product necessary. It should be something that the church provides for us. It should be something that a parish makes a priority to engage with parishioners and say, this is how we can live the liturgy to the full at our homes. Here's a festival that we can have. Here's an activity that you can do back at your house. Here's a prayer that you can pray as a family. You know, liturgical living is living the liturgy, is stepping beyond mass and bringing that home. Whether it's we decorate our house in the seasons of the liturgical color, the the colors of the liturgical season, rather, whether it's we pray the prayer, the opening or the closing prayer from the Sunday Mass, we, we pray that prayer at our family dinner table. We write a verse from the psalm on the chalkboard in our kitchen. You know, one small way that my family has been liturgically living, and it might not even seem like liturgical living, but it's bringing something from the liturgy into our home to kind of expand our participation in the full life of the church, 
Here in our diocese, throughout hurricane season, we pray a hurricane prayer. In fact, all the students at our Catholic schools pray this prayer every single day, so my kids have it memorized, and we pray it on Sundays at Mass, either at the beginning of Mass with an announcement, or we pray it in the middle of Mass during the prayers of the faithful. And there's something really beautiful about joining our voices together and and saying the words, there's this line, like a provoked and angry giant describing the waters that can sometimes swirl up in a storm. But it's this very simple prayer that's very much become a part of our rhythms and routines here in southwest Louisiana between June and November during hurricane season. There's a real gift in the connectedness that comes from praying that prayer. So I printed out a copy, it's available on our diocesan website, and stuck it at our kitchen table area where we sit down and share a meal together and we pray the prayer before we have our meals. It's part of our blessing. Liturgical living doesn't have to be complicated. It can be something simple that is brought into the rhythms of our life. And Stephanie Aquila, the founder of His Girl Sunday and the director of liturgical living within the Cathedral Parish in Houston, She's here to share with us all about what that can look like, give practical ideas, share some of her own experiences, her own favorites when it comes to the liturgical year. All of this is part of our Ave Explorers series on liturgical living. You can check everything out over on our website, AveMariaPress.com. Grab a copy of Erica Ty Campbell's brand new book, Living the Seasons, which is full of ideas for how to engage in the liturgical year. The link is down in our show notes. And you can find all of the great stuff that Stephanie's creating at His Girl Sunday including maybe a little preview of the book that she'll be writing for Ave Maria Press coming out next year, all at her website, which is also linked down in the show notes. For now, we'd love it if you'd sit back and enjoy this conversation with Stephanie Aquila of His Girl Sunday. Well, Stephanie Aquila, welcome to Ave Explores. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to finally be able to talk to you. You're the Katie McGrady. (laughs) Stop, stop. It's just a (laughs) podcast that I get to host. And you're His Girl Sunday. Tell us the name of, like, where the name came from for your incredible online ministry with Liturgical Living. You're kind of like the other person. We had Kendra Tierney on at the beginning of the season. I was like, we got to get Stephanie on close to the end so we can have these kind of bookends of Liturgical Living. (laughs) Tell us who you are, what you do. You're just a couple hours down the road from me over in Houston. Introduce yourself to our listeners. Yeah, for sure. So His Girl Sunday is a name that developed out of my love for all things vintage. I grew up on old classics. And for those of you that know that, you'll understand the term His Girl Friday. And so it is like an efficient assistant who helps people, you know, accomplish their goals. And for me, I really wanted to help people accomplish a joy-filled life that is full of tradition and hospitality and togetherness and the liturgical life of the church. Um, So I come from a family and I married into a family that is just bursting with liturgical tradition. We were really, really blessed to have that handed down to us. And so it was very much a part of our identity. And um. I just really wanted to be able to share that with the community and and hopefully kind of revive that in our our homes, but also, you know, our larger community, our parish communities and things like that. Yeah. So you stayed Catholic, like your cradle. Yes. My family is mixed, actually. So my dad is Baptist. My mom is Catholic, but we were raised Catholic and then married and married a Catholic guy. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that liturgical traditions and living like is that how you learned the faith? Like the the kind of these rhythms and rotations throughout the, the course of the year? Like, obviously there's 
CCD or Catholic school, but it was also being reinforced in the home. Was it by way of liturgical living? Yeah, I think, you know, my family was, or maybe it's a generational thing, but like we were not of that generation where our families would like come back home and like do these like cutesy lessons or cutesy like faith crafts. <laughs> like that's just not how I grew up. We grew up doing what the whole family was going to do together for a season or a feast day. So it was very intergenerational, it was very cultural. And so instead of thinking about liturgical living as teaching other people about the year, it's really about letting the year teach you about Jesus mm. and then just sharing that naturally together. I like that. That's a good distinction. Why do you think it sometimes is relegated to crafts and baking, mostly around like little kids? Like it, it's something that I do for my children to learn the faith, not something that I'm doing for myself to just live the faith? Why have we kind of put it into that box? I think it's easy to gear things towards children and it's harder to do for ourselves. And it's even harder sometimes to do for our Lord. It's cuter. It's more fun. <laughs> it's more picturesque on social media. I mean, I, I definitely think we have to be aware of the culture that we live in, which is very much geared towards that, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of what it's been for generations, which is doing things together, doing things with your whole family. I mean, and just recognizing what, when the church talks about liturgical and sacramental life of the faithful, what's its primary end? Its primary end is towards praising God we have kind of made it about us, right? And it is about mm -hmm. us, but it's not um, primarily focused on praising us or ourselves, right? The year is about directing our hearts and our minds and our energy towards God and Mary and the saints. So I think we've fallen into something that's perhaps, um, you know, also just recognizing that certain people are telling their stories, right? And and on social media, we're seeing a story of whoever we follow. And that person may be seeking to bring the year to their children. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? Mm -hmm. But that um, there's a much bigger picture and a much wider lens to view the whole thing through. Mm -hmm. I like that, that idea of, I mean, it's oriented not to us. It's not just the craft that we then get to display on the bulletin board. It's ultimately like, did did this lead me? Did this lead my child? Did it leave our family? Did it lead us closer to Jesus? Did it lead us to a deeper prayer life? When you started kind of digging into this, less from the perspective of, okay, this was just what we did, and more into like, I want to teach people about this. How How did you kind of get into the research or the digging into some of these traditions and bringing things back or finding recipes for dinners that could just like orient the conversation? Like what did that kind of unpacking look like for you? At first, it was just a sharing of here's what we do in our house. And this is what it looks like. This is who we are. And that's kind of in simplest terms, like how I define Catholic culture is like, who we are and the way we do things. So this is the way we do things here. You know, we get together for certain feast days or we, you know, decorate for certain seasons or we've made this meal for, you know, generations in our family. And I want other people to enjoy that. And then when there were gaps, you know, when my husband and I said to each other, okay, there are feast days that we want to celebrate that maybe our families didn't. 
how can we go about doing that together as a married couple and how can we draw others into that? And so, mm-hmm. you know, a part of it was looking back at cultural and generational traditions that have been there for hundreds of years that just haven't really been talked about in a long time. Um, and some of it just came out of creativity, you know, just like, okay, I make this connection in my mind and, um, let's try it. You know, Mm -hmm. if it works, let's keep doing it. If it doesn't, let's scrap it and try something else. that's truly meaningful and authentic. Yeah. So what were some of those, like the ones that you grew up with, like some of the standard, this is, this is always going to happen in our home that were specific to the liturgical year. So truthfully, my family was much more seasonal given Mm -hmm. that, you know, it wasn't as rooted in Catholicism, but it was certainly rooted in community in the season. So we're, we're very Southern and we, I grew up in East Texas. And so, you know, summertime was always marked by a big crawfish boil or a block party where we would, you know, uh, barricade the streets off and there would be barbecuing and there would be, you know, drinks and games and these types of things. Um, Christmas time was always marked by, um, just family gatherings, prayer, decorating, like things like that, that were just so much more general. It, it was, it's easy to come from that place and apply it to everybody. Whereas like, I didn't have, it wasn't like very specifically age appropriate activities where I then had to like modify specific age appropriate activities to pass down. Right. Like it was all very general, like everybody could be a part of it. There was room for everyone. And so it's easy for me to imitate that and just share that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now you do this on a professional scale, right? Like not just with His Girl Sunday, but you're in a parish in a title that I've never heard at another parish. Tell us about your your specific ministry job at the cathedral. Yeah. That was definitely a Holy Spirit moment where a priest saw what I was doing and my desire for it to not just be in the home, but back in the community because a lot of the research that I had done was actually more rooted towards the community. And, you know, just as an aside, I think that's why people are so stressed and overwhelmed when they see liturgical living online, Mm -hmm. because we've made it about what mom or wife has to do to entertain almost this like entertaining element for the home. And that's very pressure filled. Like Mm -hmm. this is supposed to be a, a genuine handing down in togetherness, right? And so our parishes really need to mm-hmm. step up and be a part of administering, guiding, leading, teaching the liturgical year as a whole. That's where the principal liturgy is, you know, to begin with, the mass, the sacraments, all else flows from there. So my job in meeting with this priest was to essentially move that kind of lifestyle in into the the whole of the parish. And mm-hmm. so I have a title that has never been had before. And I feel <laughs> a little blessed for that. <laughs> yeah. And that is? Director of Liturgical Life. Yeah. So what does that look like? Like somebody's listening to this podcast. I know we have a handful of priests who tune in and they're mm-hmm. like, okay, I, I appreciate this idea. Liturgical living shouldn't just be do this thing at your kitchen table. And then like you show up to mass and this happened to us recently. We made a big deal uh, about a saint's feast day. And then we got to mass that weekend and nothing was said. And it was like, yeah, St. Monica this year was on a Sunday. So she kind of got bumped, but like we had 
specifically talked about Monica and talked about praying for family and like made a big deal at our kitchen table about it. And then we show up to mass. And I think the homily that weekend was about demons, which was very confusing for my kids. Uh, and it was just like, I would have, I would have been nice to have been integrated. Obviously I can't like control father's homily. Sometimes it's going to happen, but there was like no thought to the saints feast day at all. Yeah. How, how do y'all go about that? Is it a matter of we send resources home? We have webinars. There's a parish podcast. You're putting out info sheets like what like very practically how does a parish make liturgical living in the pews and at the kitchen table and in one's living room happen that's a really good question and something that we're we're working on unpacking you know it's been a couple years in this role and some of the things that i've done is to create a place on our website where every month there are suggestions that sometimes do and don't correspond with what is happening in the parish, but resources for the home, prayers, uh, recipe, activities, and kind of a you know deep dive into who I've chosen that month. I'd usually do four or five, and they can look at those. We put out guides in our bulletin, so there's always a resource like center in our bulletin. Mm-hmm. Um, we integrate and we try to integrate the saint that we're talking about into our mass intentions or at the end of mass, integrating a prayer like St. Monica could have had a prayer at the end of mass or in the mass intentions, you know, uh, St. Monica pray for us that Mm -hmm. just as simple as that, but like that interweaving, right. Mm -hmm. I think on a larger scale, what we've tried to do is kind of look at the demographics of the parish, the people that are there and what is inspiring to them and what do they want to be a part of what types of things can we do on various feast days in various seasons that can bring everyone together in a meaningful way um you know reintegrating mm-hmm. processions special blessings just time for for hospitality time for learning about who we are as Catholics together, mm-hmm. showing our faith as one, you know, celebrating your name, your parish's name day. There are a lot yep. of parishes who don't do that. We all have fall festivals, but no one celebrates their name day. And that to me is mind boggling, mm-hmm. right? That like yeah. your parish is a place for salvation of souls. Then we have to do the hard work and ministry is really hard tiresome work and like building that up and integrating that we can't just Mm -hmm. say go live a liturgical life at the end of mass you know go forth and spread the gospel and then do nothing to like foster that from sunday to sunday yeah it's a great point we um our parish does make a big deal thank god about saint margaret's feast day and when the parish i grew up in queen of heaven we always had a like we were doing processions before they kind of came back into style Mm -hmm. uh and and it was always like, okay, this is going to be a big deal. There's going to be a potluck because Southern ladies love a pot, potluck. And we're going to do a wiffle ball game. And and Monsignor Danny, who's not even five feet tall, is going to run the bases as fast as his little legs will carry it. Like we had, and like I, I can think back, and I didn't know as a kid, like, oh, this is because of the queenship of Mary. But as an adult, I was like, absolutely, we are getting our butts to church. Or now for St. Margaret's, we have a Eucharistic procession at our parish. There's a big parish picnic um we like crown the statue i'm not sure you're supposed to crown saint statues but she gets like something maybe it's just flowers at her feet i don't know we, we have a statue of saint margaret and we make a big deal about the statue of saint margaret not, <laughs> we're not taking anything from mary we do a cr- crowning of mary in may but that's a great point like there's a name of the parish like there's something that the parish is associated with that can be very easily celebrated 
Have y'all found, I love what you just said about looking at the demographics. Because sometimes it kind of feels like the same way like a house, a person might like shoehorn design into a house. Well, everybody else is open concept, so I want open concept. Or like everybody else is doing this thing with liturgical living. How do you find that like looking at who you have in the parish, maybe you have a large Hispanic population or a large Filipino population or a large white population, right? Like whoever is in your parish pews, how does that help you decide? Give us some practical examples of of what y'all have done to make sure that this feels comfortable and familiar challenges people, but like is also not like, it would be weird if, if certain Filipino traditions were brought into my parish where I don't think there's any Filipino parishioners, right? Like that would not, it would be shoehorning or vice versa. How, how do you find that integration unfolds? Yeah, that's really true. Sometimes, you know, especially in the home, we can adopt traditions from other cultures and test it out. And since it's such a small scale people, yeah. we can make it work. Um, but I'll I'll start with an example that didn't really work to kind of highlight yeah. this. So something that is really important in my family, because my husband as Italian is Italian. We love the feast of St. Joseph. It is a part of his family culture to do the tiered table with the yeah. food and all of that good stuff, right? So I thought, you know what, this is a really great communal experience for the parish. So let's try that. And it was a bust. And I think in ministry, you have to recognize sometimes you think you have these great ideas and they don't work, right? So our cathedral parish has a big Anglo population. It is Hispanic and it is Vietnamese. Mm. We are very diverse as a city, though. So I thought that it might work like, you know, the Italian culture might pop up within Mm -hmm. the parish. And and it just didn't work like that, right? So, Mm. but one of the things that we are trying to do is like an all souls altar. Mm. That is very much flowing from the Hispanic culture um, that I think people need to take ownership of. And here's what I learned in in really trying to revive this in, in real life, in the culture, is that it's about the people. It has to mm. flow forth out of the joy and the happiness from the hearts of those that want to see it happen. It can't just be Stephanie is putting on this event, right? And I can put on a really great event and you'll have fun, but it may not stay Mm -hmm. as an authentic tradition because it didn't come from that overflow of joy. And that's that's where we see all these traditions come out of. Mm -hmm. If you go back and look, it's really a group of people with similar ideals, similar beliefs, similar way of expressing happiness together. And they kept doing it because it was like, this is fun. And what we're celebrating is really meaningful here. Yeah. So, you know, those are kind of a a positive and a negative way that I've seen that demographic element be so critical. Yeah. I mean, it's organic. It has to be organic. and, And so that's why sometimes like in the home, these traditions, like the Jesse tree, this is a, this is a perfect real life example for my family. I have tried every which way to Sunday to try to make the Jesse tree a thing. I have bought the fancy Jesse tree from Etsy with the, like we put one up every single day. I have the cards from Catholic family crate that I put up around our whiteboard. Like we have, we have done it and my kids just, they just don't care. And on the one hand, I'm like, is it me? Are we just not doing it at the right time of day? Am I not putting this in the right place? And it's like, or, or maybe they're just a little too little just yet. Or I'm trying to shoehorn it. And rather than like talking to them about how could we like maybe we do a color sheet 
which now that I'm sitting here, I'm thinking maybe that's the way we do it this year is we just <laughs> color the ornament every single day and we tape it up and it doesn't have to look perfect. It doesn't have to be Pinterest worthy. The fancy one from Etsy can stay in the closet, but it's like, I want this to happen and nobody's actually spiritually edified by this. And in fact, my <laughs> children are annoyed and are just asking me when we're going to blow out the candles on the advent wreath. And they want me to stop talking about the creation of the world. Like they just want to blow out a purple candle. Okay. That's where we are this year. We're just at purple candle blowout. Like that's our liturgical living. What have you seen like really, really stick like in your parish community? We know the one that didn't work. Um, do you have like a standout example of like, okay, this is why I'm doing this, this tradition, this activity, the community really owned this particular thing. Do you have a story about that? So our community loves, it's the co-cathedral, the sacred heart. Mm. So we really appreciate sacred heart devotion and tradition. So we do our patronal feast day and people love that, but we do a first Friday devotion every month unfailing. We have mass, there is confession and they come over to the center for like an enriching talk and there's dinner. You can bring your whole family. The kids kind of run around in the hallway. The parents can listen to a speaker, but it's, it's, sharing a glass of wine together. It's eating a good meal together mm -hmm. and it's just having time. And I think that out of, we've, we've done a lot of things, but I think that has been something that has stood out as what works for us mm -hmm. every month. It's an opportunity for people to dive deeper into a devotion. And sometimes liturgical living is, is devotional. You know, mm -hmm. it's not just a feast day or a season. And so that has really drawn our pairs together, pulled them out of themselves mm. to get to know one another and to really kind of be enriched mm -hmm. as one, you know? So the sacred heart of Jesus is, I mean, our namesake, our namesake yeah. is doing its job. So for like for a divine mercy parish, it's a, it's a divine mercy devotion. Our, our parish years ago did nine weeks, like every week, I think it was like Thursday afternoons. We sung the novena for, we sung the, the chaplet. So it's like, if you just come once a week for nine weeks, you've done the novena. Like you, it, it's a little stretched out, but I think the thought was families are maybe able to handle this a little better than nine days in a row, or you could go full intense and do like a nine day thing and end with a holy hour on a Sunday afternoon on divine mercy Sunday. Like there's so many different ideas. Your website really digs into this from both a parish perspective, from a family perspective. Talk to us a little bit about kind of the specifics of his girl Sunday. Like what's on your website? What does somebody get when they subscribe? You have a marketplace like where you source items where families and, and people who are busy, who are just like, I don't have time to go find this stuff myself. Like, like tell us how you've kind of curated all of that. Sure. So my website is broken down into three parts. It's the liturgy culture, which is about building Catholic culture in the home and in the parish. So there's resource guides, there's unpacking of, you know, theological elements behind this, liturgical elements behind this that we sometimes don't always see or get into, but the nerdy part of me really needs that, like mental connection. Um, there's a liturgy kitchen element. So one of the things we love to do is just hospitality, eating together, just, you know, the theology of a good meal. <laughs> and so every month there are meals broken down picture by picture recipes because I cook like I've got a tons cap on. <laughs> I'm like, is this what it's supposed to be? Yeah. <laughs> and so you can find those there. And then there is a marketplace. And something I just I like to share is that liturgic commodifying liturgical living to me feels like icky. And I don't mm. like that element because to me it just is like the it, it's totally antithetical to 
to liturgical life, right? Um, but what I did want to do was to offer people things that we sometimes need to live out, you know, that sacramental, or we need that tactile thing to live out a feast day. So for me, it's really about like sharing heirlooms for you to be able to pass down. It just helps me to basically fund all of this too, you know, so that I can provide you with the resources and also like help my family out. And so, you know, there are these three elements that you can go and dive into. Mm -hmm. When you started like putting together the recipes, like how did, how did all of this liturgical living that you were teaching people about and you're cooking your way through and you're incorporating in the parish, how how did that impact your personal spirituality? Because I feel sometimes, you know, in ministry, it's like, okay, this is the thing that I do externally. I create the stuff. I plan the stuff. Everybody enjoys the stuff. But then, you know, I'm just kind of off on the side watching it unfold. I'm stressed about this or that. Like, okay, yeah, the blog post is up. Now I'm done for the day. How did you notice that while you're doing this, it's it's integrating back into your life? Was it sometimes a spiritual challenge or has it been, you know, just just pure growth? Yeah, like you said, in ministry, it's that way, right? It's that like mm-hmm. back and forth, back and forth. So sometimes I feel like, I'm giving and I'm pouring out and I'm losing that element, that personal element of joy in my own family. And then there's other times where I'm in that really sweet spot where I'm doing the things and the posts and the sharing and the writing is flowing out of that. Sometimes it's like working in reverse, you know, <laughs> having to like put something out. And that's kind of like the the worst part of social media is this is constant demand of like needing a post. And I, and I don't like that because I'm not mm-hmm. always celebrating a feast day. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes my liturgical living is just like I'm praying. <laughs> and yeah. and that may not be very <laughs> interesting to you. But <laughs> you know, these elements of like showing the world what we're doing and also kind of keeping up with it in our own life has been a back and forth. But mm-hmm. maintaining a good balance for us has been finding what's truly meaningful to us mm-hmm. and continuing that and then offering extra things for enri- the enrichment of others mm-hmm. when I have the bandwidth to do it, you know, yeah. so that it comes out of a place of, of true, like of an apostolate um, and not of something being about me and like, oh, look at me and what I've posted, but more so like, how has the, how can this feed you and your relationship with Jesus? Yeah. I think that's a, that's a great, that's a great word of the of bandwidth, right? Like how, what is your capacity? What is your family's capacity? What is your budget's capacity? What is your time's capacity, right? Like you you only can do so many things, but sometimes it is just the praying. Like liturgy of the hours is liturgical living and reading the daily gospel or like listening to it on hallow is liturgical living. You you said incorporating the things that really mean something to you. That's kind of our concluding question to everybody. It's a two-parter. Do you have a favorite liturgical season and what is the tradition within that liturgical season? Um, And then if you like bumped into somebody who heard this podcast and like, I just need somebody to kind of give me the kick in the pants. I just need that final boost to actually try to do these things and and, and incorporate this into my spiritual life. What is that, that elevator pitch, so to speak? Okay. So my favorite season does not incorporate my favorite feast tradition, but my favorite season is Lent. And I know that may be very odd, but Lent really pulls me out of what it it draws me into what I'm not good at. I'm Mm. not good at sacrificing. I'm not good at um, doing no meat on Fridays. I'm not good (laughs) at like penance, right. And silence. 
and and like solemnness. Um, and Lent drives me into that place that I feel is good for my holiness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, my favorite liturgical tradition is on Christmas Eve. It is called the Feast of Seven Fishes. And mm-hmm. it is just a smorgasbord of delicious food. And there's one way to get to my my heart. And that is through my stomach, like that old phrase says. And so I love that we all come together as a family and we eat and we share like a really beautiful Christmas Eve dinner together. Yeah. Yeah. And then my elevator pitch. Yeah. 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 Oh goodness. My elevator pitch. That's good, Katie. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like if you can distill it to 30 seconds and I, I spend a lot of time in one elevator in the DFW airport going up and down from the terminal to the admiral's club. And sometimes you just have like the 25 seconds in there to talk to the person that's next to you. So I've rarely talked to those people, but I think about it a lot. Like if I just had 25 seconds to tell this person what I'm doing with my life, how would I, how would I put it? It's yeah. a, it's hard. It's a hard pitch, you know, it is hard, but you know what? I would just say, I come back to this really simple place that kind of came out of a, a not great season for me, which was why am I not deserving of joy? Mm. And when I think back to that time, I remember hearing that phrase, like, why not me? Right. And, and so I, I like to ask other people, why not you? Why are you not deserving of holiness or joy? And essentially that's what liturgical life is. It's about Mm. living a life of praise, whether things are good or bad, right? Praise doesn't always happen in good times, we praise at a funeral, um, but that your life every day can have joy and festivity and community mm. and love for God and with other people. That's a great answer. That's a great pitch. Why not? What's well, the other option, be- right? Being miserable? Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. That's, yeah, that's great. Stephanie, where can we find all of the stuff that you create? Where can somebody check out this website for your cathedral that that offers these parish insights, where can we find all that stuff? Okay. So for the parish, you can go to sacredhearthouston.org, click on the grow tab, and you'll see a lot of liturgical living elements there. And then for the home and just ideas about parish, you can go to hisgirlsunday.com, or you can follow me on Instagram at Stephanie underscore hisgirlsunday. Awesome. Stephanie, thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I think we have to be reminded of that encouragement pretty regularly, that liturgical living doesn't have to be complicated. It can be very simple, and it's for all of us. It's for the daily mass-going Catholic. It's for the from-time-to-time Catholic. It's from the family with little kids. It's from the family for, for, the, for the family with no children. It's for the people whose kids are grown. It's for the people who maybe have, have disaffiliated from the faith and are trying to find their way back, and these traditions might be the hook in. It's the opportunity to engage as a community, whether within your home and within the parish, to engage with the rhythms of the year to help us understand kind of what's going on within, and and this is going to sound really theological, but let me just say it like this, within salvation history. I was studying the liturgical calendar. I bought one the other day. You know, the one I'm talking about, the round calendar that's colored, that shows you Advent and Christmas and, and then 
ordinary time, very, very short, and then into Lent and then Easter and then back to ordinary time. And, and it's a circle. You've seen these calendars before. They've hung on the walls of Catholic school classrooms for decades. I bought one. I bought a small one to keep on my desk because, you know, I work in Catholic media. It's important for me to know the rhythms of the year. And I loved the fact that it's a wheel. It's a circle. That there's a kind of a, a movement, almost like a clock, a movement of the hands throughout the course of the year where you can see we ponder the incarnation of Jesus. We celebrate his birth. We, we lean into the, the coming forth of, of new life at the very, very beginning of spring. And then we enter into the darkness of the desert before we emerge into the empty tomb where we celebrate new life and then back into this ordinary time where we're living the regular rhythms of our life inside the regular rhythms of the church. Kind of looking at it as a, as a circle, I thought to myself, oh, the liturgical year is pretty straightforward. It's pretty easy to kind of see how it all plays out. But seeing it visually kind of reminded me that there's these turnovers, right? There's these changes in the seasons, whether it's fall into winter, winter into spring, spring into summer. But there's also this shift within our liturgical year, what we're reading in the readings at Mass, what we're talking about in the prayers of the faithful, what we're engaging in within the life of our community. It's for everyone. Stephanie's great website, hisgirlsunday.com, has some incredible resources. A lot of the stuff that she puts out there is just chock full of great information, as well as her storefront and her marketplace would have, have incredible heirloom quality items to really help build your awareness and your understanding of the liturgical year. Check it all out. The link is down in our show notes. And hey, make sure you're following our show we're so proud of what we're creating. We've got over 175 backlogged episodes of Ave Explores. So if you're new to listening to this podcast, go check out some of our incredible stuff from previous seasons. We'd love it if you'd follow the show. If you'd support the show by giving us a rating or a review, telling people about it is the best way to support what we're doing here at Ave Explores. Find out more on our website. Sign up for our emails, AveMariaPress.com. Follow Ave Maria Press on all the socials, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We'd be grateful to have you there. And make sure you come back next week for an incredible conversation with Erica Ty Campbell of Be A Heart Design about her new book with Ave Maria Press, Living the Seasons. We'll see you soon. Thanks so much for exploring with us today. Today.